not necessarily that it's a racist, quote unquote, um, in the sense of hatred type of decision, but it is a racist in the sense of participating in a system that and benefiting from a system that has systematically oppressed people. And then you take advantage of that for your benefit. Welcome to the Hardwood Podcast, a program dedicated to sharing ideas, thoughts, and voices of respected professionals in environmental studies that care about diversity, equity, and inclusion. They all have lived and have work experiences that add to their outlook and understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we on the Hardwood Podcast are committed to sharing the voice as well as making space for others to ponder our dialogues. And today I have the honor and privilege of talking to Dr. Allison Matthews. Now in the time of COVID and even in the time where our country is fighting and dealing with issues around police brutality and, uh, and just a lot of the issues around white supremacy and racism, this episode in particular will give you some ideas, not just about what you can do for those who have questions, but also help you understand the systemic issues. So my normal thing is sit back and enjoy, but this one I'm gonna say is sit up, listen, and get ready to take some notes. Doc, what's going on? Hey, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on. <laughs> and I appreciate you for being on on this Juneteenth. So happy Juneteenth to you. Oh, yes. Black Liberation Day. Happy hey. Juneteenth. <laughs> so it gives me pride to be talking to you on a, on this day, to be honest, you know, so it really, uh, you know, works out. And uh, and uh, I just I'm looking forward to getting into it. So thank you for your time. And I think the people need to know some more amazing things about you. So I'd like to know, how did you get interested in what you are actually doing? Like, for real, take take your time. I want to know, like, okay. how how did the leader get to Wake Forest? Like, yeah, I know it's woo. I know that's deep. And that's <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You know, I see you rocking Howard today, you know, HBCU, you. you know, we both HBCU grads. So, you yeah. know, just curious. So please, I want to sit back. I just, I want to listen. Okay. Um, the long version of this story. <laughs> um, well, so I, I, and I will give you a little bit of a longer version. So I went to a predominantly white high school. It was all girls Catholic school. And my, there's a debate on whether it was my sophomore or my junior year. In my mind, it was my sophomore year. We, um, there was some, somebody put up some flyers in the school that were threatening uh, students of color, threatening our lives. And, you know, basically saying that we needed to go back to Africa, go back to Mexico, and that, um, if they, if we didn't leave the school that they would kill us. And, um, so obviously that was crazy and devastating. And so then all of, so it's only 800 students in the school and what, maybe 50 minority students. So we all pulled out of class and did a sit in outside the president's office, um, and demanded justice, you know, like, what are you gonna do? Well, our lives are threatened right now. Um, one of the girls' uh, parents called the police and there was like helicopters hovering over our school. And, and so um, 
that experience, I mean, obviously I experienced racism in other ways, but that was like the most blatant experience. And um, being a student of color and I, you know, obviously I was devastated, but, and I remember my parents coming to the school because I wanted to leave. I was like, why am I doing this? You know, and my, and I'm crying that tears are like running down my face and it's not, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and my mom was like, just like Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the bus. You refuse to give up your seat in this school. You need to go back to the classroom, go wipe those tears. <laughs> Tough love, black mama. <laughs> wipe those tears, go back to the classroom and, you know, show them that you deserve to be here like everyone else. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually did a, a, a speech in front of the whole student body maybe two weeks later and got a standing ovation for telling that story and talking about how, you know, we, that, that flyer was a way to intimidate us and, and to make us incite fear, but guess what? It incited anger <laughs> and oh, we, oh. we're not going nowhere <laughs> oh. and we're going to put some demands in place. And if you're sitting in this audience right now, we, we are not afraid of you. So that was, um, that really was a, a defining moment in my life and it made me want to better understand how to fight racism. Um, and I also was interested in like how, so when I, I went to Howard University, HU, and um, especially I had to go to a black school after that experience. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just say that. that but, idea, um, yes. Yeah. And, um, and uh, Howard definitely made me more active, more aware, more informed, more involved. Being in D.C., um, I attended the, um, the uh, you know, the Million Man Mar- Millions More Man March. Um, we did protests, we, you know, all of that. And so getting kind of activated in that way really... Um, and I think also I would the blessing of going to an HBCU and being in smaller classrooms is that the professors, ironically, many of them were white professors, but they would pull me aside in class and say, hey, you need to get a PhD. And I didn't know what a PhD was. I thought I was going to law school. <laughs> <laughs> the, the JD. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And, my, and they were like, no, get a PhD. You, you have something to say. And so I, 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 I actually ended up going to this summer research program at UNC Chapel Hill that was specifically for increasing pipeline of diverse students into PhD programs. And the kind of the rest is history. I, I, not necessarily, I actually was even hesitant to go to UNC Chapel Hill because I was mm-hmm. like, I, you know, after going to Howard, I wanted to be at Howard the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my professors at Howard were like, no, you need to leave. <laughs> and um, I, so I, you know, and I got into both Duke and UNC, but I, I like chose that. UNC and okay. pursued my PhD. And then, and then, okay, so I'm trying to shorten this story. <laughs> um, through that process, I, I got my PhD in sociology. Um, 
interested in questions around racial discrimination, but also that intersectionality with sexuality um, and kind of just the stigma against being gay. And um, partially because I had a lot of friends and family members who were gay and didn't, and I didn't fully understand why that was such an issue, especially in the black community. Mm. And so, you know, I started asking those questions in my research and thinking about masculinity. And then what came out of that was these conversations around HIV and the stigma associated with HIV okay. and how the stigma associated with being black and gay and low income mm -hmm. and whatever else kept people from getting access to healthcare and then right. kept getting them, you know, kept them from being able to, you know, live full lives and, and it put them at risk for HIV. And then I'm like, wait, black people are dying from HIV uh, because of racism. Like, <laughs> so there is this connection, right? Between racism, discrimination, stigma. And then it's like the death, the death, part of it really struck a chord with me because it's like it's not just that we have stress and stigma and you know mental health impacts but we're actually dying from racism and you know so i got my post i did a postdoc and and that's how i started doing the two beat hiv um project was doing uh engagement com community engagement to address stigma around hiv in communities and, and educating them about clinical trials and finding a cure for HIV. So I'm gonna stop there because I don't want to. <laughs> there's so much more, but I know. I'll stop there. I know I'm up for taking notes. It's like wow, wow, wow. Okay, let me just you know to I'm gonna if you don't mind just to keep it conversational. Okay, so HBCU. I went to an all black high school okay. uh, in Alabama, um, but we dealt with a lot of harassment from cops and stuff coming into our neighborhoods and you know or being there too you know so you know so i so we kind of had the threat like that you know like uh, yeah. uh dealing with that way i went to alabama a and m go bulldogs it's funny being at yale the bulldogs yeah. uh but like you i got put into a program with the forest service so i just wanted to just to just start there like it's fascinating to me that how you know both of us have kind of gotten into the academy is through a program uh, you know, to get us into school, but we're both, and then I come from a civil rights family, so my family was entrenched in the civil rights movement, you know, so like what your mom would have done, my mom did that to me when I was at NC State, she was just like, mm, really? <laughs> uh, you had to keep going, son, I went to jail when I was 14, here you are in your late 20s, I need you to keep yeah. going, you know, so, you know, so just seeing like, here goes some commonalities in some ways how we get to where we are. You know, special, you know, programs laid out, but then we also still overcome all of these other things. And then I think that that impacts our lens. And then here you are explaining, you know, what you saw, especially when you got involved with the healthcare. And then you systems thinking you you did like boom, boom, boom. Oh, they died from racism, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And you know, and I and, and I love how you said it because you knew it already. You were just like, oh yeah. <laughs> and the death part is what got me, you know. And so I want to, so I want to go there. I want, I, I want to now kind of go there and bring it back to this part because I work in the school of the environment, you know, soon to be with the School of Forestry Environmental Studies, but we're changing some. And you just made that connection. Me as a forester, I do the same thing. I talk about right. land acquisition or the lack of land in our community. Um, I talk about, uh, I think about indigenous uh, um, not models, that's, that's your essential language. 
uh, but practices, you know, that how, how we managed and how we, uh, you know, how we uh, loved the land and we were part of it, you know, versus now, you know, being pushed off and, and then I look at how the community is suffering, right? And then they say environmental justice uh, adversely affects this community. I'd like to ask you, from a healthcare per perspective, could you maybe talk some about, um, as you've already mentioned, racism? Can, can you maybe, can we have a discussion about how that shows itself in the environment, which also shows itself in the healthcare system, how it's tied together maybe, or how it's connected? You said, can we talk about the connection between racism and healthcare? And the environment. And the environment. <laughs> and the See, I, I, okay. I want to bring all three together. You know, it's like that's, right. that, that's kind of, you know, what I want to do. Yeah. So um, I guess to bring it up to speed where I am right now, I, you know, I, I, I built my name around HIV um, in community engagement um, and HIV cure clinical trials mm -hmm. and kind of starting that political um, engagement with the Office of the Governor in North Carolina to have HIV Cure Research Day recognized. And um, now that I work at Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center, um, I've expanded beyond HIV. And um, I'm a big part of my role um, is, especially now that coronavirus has hit, um, I am working with um, there's a, a study called COVID-19 Community Research Partnership Study. And it like, um, with that study and with a lot of the studies that I work with at, at Wake Forest, the idea is that I um, help the, re the investigators, I'm actually a co-investigator on that study, but I help investigators better engage with community about clinical trials and about uh, and, and improve recruitment and retention in those studies. And, you know, I think a lot of times when people think about recruitment, it's just about, oh, ask somebody to enroll in study. But my approach, and here's the connection to environment, is really thinking about what are the systematic ways and reasons why people are don't have access to healthcare and and then subsequently don't have access to clinical trials. Here in Winston-Salem, and the same can be said for almost every city in the country, there's a highway that blocks the black and the white neighborhood, right? Oh. Wake Forest um, is in collaboration with the city sponsored, you know, Wake Forest benefited from having that highway built, right? They may not have necessarily paid for it, but they definitely benefited and I'm sure lobbied for it. There's, and so they built a highway that split the, that displaced 600 families. They had to move to different parts of the city. They got cut off from their food supply. They got cut off from being able to walk to downtown or even like there's a wall that that um, blocks the Black and Latinx neighborhood so that they can't even see downtown and downtown what? can't see them, right? Yeah, because it's a, it's supposed to be a sound barrier from the highway, but it really is a wall that blocks them out. <laughs> and then uh, Winston-Salem is interesting also because there's other parts of the city, um, the Boston Thurman neighborhood in particular, where they built up um, bushes and trees to block 
sight, eyeline sight of the black neighborhood that's right behind it. So when you're driving down, all you see is trees, which is nice and that's beautiful, but it also blocks the view of the black neighborhoods, right? And, wow. and keeps students from having to um, interact with, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's that, that, that environmental aspect that is used as a way to um, create boundaries and barriers that then also has implications for health because you physically can't walk to the resources that you need. <laughs> and it also has a mental health aspect to it too because you are being told basically that you are out of sight, out of mind, you know? I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm shaking my head because, you know, it's, it's, I mean, of course, you, the way you did that was, you, you know, you know, like eloquent, but it just always hits me when, when people say, especially now, you mentioned in COVID-19, of course, we have got, you know, a lot of unrest in the country, and they say, wow, you know, I really want to talk about this, and you're like, you want to talk about what people have actively been doing for all these years, because what you just said, like that, everything you described, None of that could happen in one day. No. All that happens over time. Like, it's, you know, and so people say, we want to talk about it. I'm like, well, why don't we talk about it before you built the highway? I mean, everything you're saying now is making me think about Black Wall Street in Durham and oh, Highway yeah. 147 and Research exactly. Triangle Park. And what was the, what, what did they justify with urban renewal? That's what they called it, urban exactly. renewal. And they do that across the country. And they do it saying, oh, yeah, it's like, you know, it's something that's good. But what you're doing is you're tearing up our stuff even more. And it almost feels like it's done on purpose to me sometimes. Like, they stopped what you're doing, right, because we're going to grow this thing over here. But because Black Wall Street was very successful. Obviously, those who study it know that. And now look at RTP. And we love RTP. You know, so I, I, so I just, you just made me think about yeah, that. It just That's always a debate too. And I, I get, <laughs> sometimes people get pushed, I, I get pushed back on whether it was done on purpose or not. And my answer is yes. <laughs> I, think it I think it was, yes. Uh, I mean, <laughs> look, I think that the complication also is, it's too simple to say that it was racist people who did it. It's, it's more nuanced than that. I think that you see a neighborhood that probably doesn't have the resources. They don't have the um, land ownership and home ownership and the people who have the ability to sway politicians. And there may not necessarily be as involved or get the word know about when the town hall meetings are and when these discussions are being made. They are not the ones who own the, are, are the major contractors with the city and with the government or the ones who own the real estate and the real estate companies. And so it's easy to make decisions about putting a highway in their neighborhood versus going to a predominantly white, well-resourced, well uh, high in, highly influential neighborhood and saying, oh, we're going to build a neighborhood, we're going to build a highway in your neighborhood and displace 600 families. They're like, uh, hell no. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it, it's not necessarily that it's a racist, quote unquote, um, in the sense of hatred type of decision, but it is a 
racist in the sense of participating in a system that and benefiting from a system that has systematically oppressed people. And then you take advantage of that for your benefit. Doc, I got to say, I want first, I got to, I mean, the, the interview is not even over. Hold on, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> you know, you just did what great scholars do, you know, which is what great scholars do. You made something that was nuanced and complex. And I'm, at least in my opinion, and for me, you made it, uh, you know, not simple, I don't mean the minimum, but you made it simple. Like, oh, I can see that. And here's, because see, there's something else that I heard in what you were saying, okay? Hopefully you'll agree with it, but if you don't, then I'm a scholar that's wrong. Um, that there's a mindset that also comes in with that with that decision making, you know, and I think that that's one of the things that I think people kind of miss, you know, the whole notion of see that's why I said urban renewal, like okay, the mindset says well we use this language to 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 say that this is supposed to benefit worse. Like wait a minute, what is that language actually saying? So then the mindset that says yeah we should be able to do this. And then we know what we need in order to do it. We need these lawmakers or these people to, you know, like to say yes. And then so then all we got to do is go to them. So then, you know, the people who don't have, like you said, land or financial resources in particular, you know, let alone other power, let's say influence, they can't do that. And so then when they go and let's say when they come together, galvanize and go, by the time they go, the decision's already been made because this person already knows what well, we want to get this done. You know, we got to probably put in this paperwork and we got to contact this person and we got to do this, you know? And so then when people go, what's the problem? You, you just laid it out for me. It's like, it's a mindset that led to the development of a system that's developed to the development of government and now it's developed to the decisions that are being made and the way that they're done and even implemented, even if a black person went in there and tried to do it, it's almost like the way that is done, it still hurts these individuals. Because the way right. that is set up, you know, and that's why I tell people it's not enough to just diversify because I'm like, wait a minute, no, if I'm learning your way of doing it, then that means I'm going to be thinking like you. And since I already know I don't want to be like you, why I want to think like you? So can we do this a little differently? So I just wanted to say, like, that's what you made me kind of, you know, think like, and not like I think I want to be like you because I don't like you. No, I want to be like you because I love myself too much. I want to be me. Yeah. So I want to do it this way. So yeah. please. There's there's two things I want to say. Uh, one is also just to tie it back to environment again, mm-hmm. in that you know we see these the numbers around coronavirus and people dying, um, and you know so there's there's a number. So I think there's there's two distinctions. There's the number of people who are getting coronavirus, right. and the number of people who are dying from coronavirus. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you have. There is overrepresentation of white and Hispanic people who are getting coronavirus. Mm-hmm. The people who are dying from coronavirus are black people. Mm-hmm. And so, and, you know, it's easy to say that black people are not washing their hands or wearing masks or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. We all know that's not true because mm-hmm. even just talking about culturally, like who walks out of the bathroom and didn't wash their hands? <laughs> Doc, don't, Doc, talk to me. Talk, talk to that's, me. Okay. But, <laughs> but the reason why we are dying is because of all of this, all of the, the history, right? And the systematic ways that we have been marginalized and, Going, you know, being one is, so back to this kind of conversation about urban renewal, you have black people in a neighborhood um, that is blocked by a highway. 
There's no access to clinics or grocery stores. There's only one grocery store in, Win in East Winston. There's no, there's no uh, I keep talking about HIV, but there's no coronavirus testing sites in East Winston. Or, you know, for the first maybe three months of this pandemic, there's, there has not been one testing site. Now that it's made the news, they've started to add testing sites. Yeah. Uh, okay. But it was an afterthought, right? Yeah. And and then to be able to travel across the highway to get to the hospital, you either have to take the bus, and that's multiple buses. So you have to, so that could take hours, or wow. um, you just don't get there, right? Or you have to, you know, find a way to get a ride, and so. Those, those, the so the environmental racism and the the healthcare racism kind of collide, and then you have on top of that like uh, asthma, you know, heart disease, these things that are exposure to environmental toxins that put people at high risk. You have diabetes that there's a high risk factor. Um, there's a genetic marker. They just recently found out that there's a genetic marker to diabetes that also is linked. I mean, genetic marker for Alzheimer's that is also linked to higher death rates um, for coronavirus. And so we, we also know that there's risk. Uh, diabetes is a risk factor for Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And you know, so like it's the environment in, in relationship with health Mm -hmm. That is the reason why, and racism, and mm -hmm. that is the reason why we're dying. Yes. No, no, no. You, I, 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 we, we talk about, um, I've done a, a few other interviews, you know, um, redlining. We talk about that. Okay, you know, so then that's a housing practice, a poor housing practice that contributes to exactly what you just said. Um, then we talk about, you know, like how they, uh, you know, how systems, this is why I, was, I say government and even voting, you know, how they really use these things and having a license and having ID, you know, it's like just, just all the extra layers that are put in place that make it difficult for people who already don't have the full access and then, and then they can't get more access. And it just gets me how people try to justify it by saying that, oh, yeah, we're trying to make it more open. We're trying to make it more equal. And I'm like, but you're not doing what we're asking you to do. You continue to do what you want to do, which further evidence is that you don't know what to do, you know. And so, um, you know, and so and to me, that's incompetent, you know, and, 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 and that's also and I mean, it, it is because people are telling you we're like sitting there. So it's just like and then there's also willingness that that's also willing ignorance because it's like I'm going to do what I want to do. And it's like with, you, you say you want to help us. So we're trying to tell you how to actually help us. So I want to ask you, you know, uh, uh, you know, as someone that I've, I've seen your TED Talks, I've learned from both of them. I learned every time I talk to you, even now, and I'm like, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, but I'm not going to ask the typical question. What should we do? I'm, I don't want to do that because that's coming to us black people all the time, especially yeah. now with everything with George Floyd and COVID, everything. But I would like to ask you, and I'm asking because I know that you're doing stuff. What are you doing? You know, if you can just give me an example of something that you're doing in the midst of this you know, as a person who's not only talking about it, researching it, you are working, you know, just your body and energy to solve it or to rectify it. Can you give me an idea, just a couple of some things yeah. that you're doing? 
Um, <laughs> I'm doing a lot. <laughs> and, oh. <laughs> I, and I I would have to say that I am privileged to be able to do a lot. Um, I, I said early on, even at Howard, that I am not, you know, like they ask you, what are you going to be? What are you going to be in the revolution? Are you going to be a soldier or <laughs> you going to be on the front lines? And I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> I will not be. But what I will do is provide my intellectual contributions. And so as, as the my Angelo Center we have we are on a task force for racial equity mm-hmm. um, so speaking directly with the CEO of uh, Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center and providing concrete and um, transformative ways to improve racial equity both with internally with employees and students but then also externally with the with the community um, also as a aside or maybe not an aside wake forest had a major role in eugenics and so we you know we've been grappling with even before coronavirus we've been grappling with how to um really address that and rebuild and build trust um with community Uh, also with the coronavirus study we have Um, funded a mobile van unit to provide primary care and free coronavirus testing for uninsured people. And so we've been coordinating with and building relationships with community-based organizations um, to find sites that um, throughout the community and Black and Hispanic communities um, to make sure that they have access to that. And in addition, um, this is tying back to HIV uh, with the Digital Links platform we built. So Digital Links is this online uh, application that allows people to apply for HIV medication assistance program applications that um, allow them to get um, HIV meds for a free or low cost. And the program is offered through the state Um, but traditionally people had to physically travel to the clinic and fill out pen and paper to, to reapply for this program every six months. And then they had to bring in documentation of their income and residency. And so the digital links platform allows people to do that online and not have to travel into the clinic. So we're working with Wake Forest Infectious Disease Clinic to pilot test that we are looking for funding so if anybody wants to help (laughs) fund any of this work um and then so that's that's a major thing is we've been self-funded and i think that also goes back to the systematic inequality right like black startup black companies don't have the funding we don't have access to capital we fundraised ourselves we've applied for grants and you know, get more rejections than we get acceptances. And, and then we just, we make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing that we are doing with the Maya Angelou Center is um, working with the, we've established a Triad Pastors Network, which is 100 pastors in their congregations and um, have been doing biweekly conference calls with them and connecting about coronavirus and about health in general, and then connecting them with uh, resources throughout the city and with state government 
um, local government, um, getting, you know, connecting them to experts about mental health, um, how to, and thinking through policies that they can implement in their churches on how to address coronavirus moving forward. We've connected them to banking, black banking, so that they can get access to loans. So, and, and I'm in the process of building an app um, for the Triad Pastors Network that allows them to access these resources in a like easy way and also for them to communicate with each other and coordinate um, conversations about what they're gonna do. Okay, all right, and you still get sleep? Can you still, you know, seem a little vibrant, you know, cause I'm, I'm like, like, I try. Oh, it's like that, <laughs> like, you know, even I'm like, uh, kind of a little bit, excuse the curse, but damn. Uh, okay, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, first, I mean, it's impressive. I know you're doing it, you know, because we need it. And, uh, and I, I feel like the way you work though, doc, it's like, it's, it's like, you're trying to work yourself out of a job. Like you understand that these things need to fix. So I can see like you, you it's, I don't want to just assume, I'm not just trying to blow you up. I mean, I've known you for a couple of years and you, you seem to just naturally, you know, and, uh, you know, think systemically about how to address this, you know, but it's, but it's also because you're doing the work. You're not asking people, you're not asking people what to do. You're asking them to help, you know, if anything, you know, here we have this stuff going and we, and we need your help. We know that this will help our community. So I just, one thing I just want to say uh, before, you know, anything else, I just want to, want to say everyone listening, um, I, I hope that you're seeing, like you, when, when, when people are saying, what, what can we do? It's so much that's already going on. But the people yeah. who want to try to build and redo things, it's like you don't even have to reinvent the wheel. You have scholars and activists, people like Dr. Matthews who are doing this work from her role or leveraging her resources. You see, so it's not that or no us. one can do nothing. Or us, right. So I just want to say yeah. thank you for, you know, sharing that because you're doing it. Um, um Well, you know, um, I see when I'm looking at the time, I'm about to bring this to a close. Not that I want to end it. I just respect your time. Yeah. I know you're busy. Um, okay, based, okay, being that you know, I've, we talked, to, now you've brought us environment, race, health, you know, like you did it. Hey, everybody, go listen to those more TEDxes. I promise you, you'll get wise. <laughs> and you know that I'm working here, you know, in the Yale School um, of the Environment and you're on the podcast. Thanks again. What, um, can you give me just like a, some, some closing thoughts or, or just some other things, you know, cause I know I didn't ask you everything, obviously, like you said, I have a lot to share, but is there a gap or something that you want to fill in just so that people can get a little bit more to go, Hey, you want to get to this quicker? Let me tell you, or just some closing thoughts on, you know, about what you're doing and, and what you hope to see in the future. Closing thoughts. Um, I would say that it's important for people to not only donate to national, you know, um, initiatives, but also thinking about and being intentional about supporting local efforts, uh, like the things that I'm doing, right? Like these are, it's, it's important to think about what's happening in your local community because that is going to have a bigger impact than, um, than donating to, I mean, we all want to support Black Lives Matter, but Black Lives Matter is not trickling down to me and what I'm doing. So, you know, I think it's important to, to you know, think about supporting local and thinking about 
also not just what's the what's the thing that's going to make people feel better like by changing a name on a on a building or tearing down a statue but what are the systematic ways thinking about what are the barriers and how do we change those barriers um, to access resources and I would say that people can support digital links um, in particular that is all of the other initiatives that I'm working on are very well funded but digital links is not <laughs> so I think um, you know the supporting supporting digital links is is what I would ask is um, anybody who's interested in in investment or or even just donating five dollars I mean all of those things help because it is also going toward helping people who are uninsured and people living with HIV okay. so okay well I can I'll do it and I guarantee that I'll, I'll I will do that because I believe in your work and what you're doing and I hope other people like like for real just just to, do I just go back to the website and then find it or whatever like find the support because um, I'll, I'll I'll do that yeah so they can donate uh via cash app is the okay. the money sign d-i-g-i-t-a-l-l-i-n-c-s yeah. um d-i-g-i-t-a-l-i-n-c-s yes and then so the cs is linking communities to services and then um you can so i can send you the paypal and all that so paypal is uh, info at community expert com, and so community expert solutions is the company is a consulting company that i own that built the digital links platform got it entrepreneurship I love it for the community. Hold on, I'm, 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 let me just do it while I got you on. Just let you know what I'm going there. Ah, thank yeah, you. <laughs> you know, so you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not playing. Like I said, I believe, I believe in what you're, you're doing. about. You're about action now. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so yeah, let me, let me see what I got. Let me see. I'm just. I thought and I'm then people this. can check out digital links. D i g i t a l i n c s dot com. Digital. I'm doing it now, Doc. Because I believe in this work, and I thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. <laughs> to, to, to be on here. Uh, let me say, okay, uh, just support. Okay. Okay, okay, all right. Wait a minute, let me do it one more time, Doc. Okay, uh, dollar sign, D-I-G-I-T-A-L-I-N-C-S. It's two L's for, for um, That's it. Cash App. Got it. Yep, found you. Okay, and you should see something now, okay? And I encourage other people also, you know, who support what we're doing to please do the same. All right, okay. Just did it. Just did it. So you'll see something. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yes, man. Thank you for your time. Well, well, everybody, uh, I've, I've had a great time. You know, it's, it's, uh, I, I like talking to you know, uh, people are smarter than me. So back in the day, brilliant, amazing, just beautiful and bold people in particular about difficult topics sometimes, because I think for me, that provides the, provides the nurturing. It provides an environment for me to also be poured into because people, I'm going to say like us, doc, you know, we do a lot of pouring into other people. So that's also why I appreciate you for coming on because, you know, I get, I get, I get, I get strength you know, you know, from talking to, you know, amazing individuals like yourself. So I, I really do appreciate your time and your energy as, as well as your, 
you know, like the labor of what you're doing mentally, physically to make this happen. So I, I support you and I'll, I'll continue you. to ask more ways I can do it. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's my, all right. Okay. Well, happy Juneteenth. Happy Juneteenth. <laughs> you know, and so for everybody that's checking this out, happy Juneteenth. Hopefully you're doing something, uh, you know, um, that, yeah. that not just commemorates, but that helps, as Doc said, uh, to change the barrier. You know, it's great that we're out in the community doing uh, that, that we're together, using our voices, using even using our, our bodies. But I still think the ultimate thing, Doc said it, you know, we not only need to change the name, we need to change the systematic ways, okay, which means we have to remove barriers that prevent people from getting across that highway to the help that they need. So Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley, uh, signing off, Dr. Allison Matthews, thank you so much. That's See great. you next time, everybody. Talk to you soon. Hardwood is a production of the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies in New Haven, Connecticut. Our producer, engineer, and editor is Chris Perkins, a joint degree student between both the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies as well as the Yale School of Management, where he is getting a Master's of Environmental Management and a Master's in Business Administration. I am Thomas Richard Easley. We'll see you next time. Thank you.